Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. And we were so delighted to welcome the Reverend Laura Davis to our pulpit this past Sunday. Laura is a dear friend and is the associate coordinator for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia. And CBF Virginia is one of our biggest uh, and closest denominational partners. And so we were delighted to welcome her and our good friend Mark Snipes, who's the coordinator to our church, uh, along with their families on Sunday. Mark led a Q&A during the, for, the Christian Ed hour, uh, the 9.30 hour in the morning, and then Laura preached for us during worship. And her sermon is entitled, Only Believe, and it's based on uh, really two stories that Mark kind of weaves together in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And so you'll notice how there's the story of this one um, Jairus and his daughter that gets interrupted by the story of this bleeding woman. And then Mark comes back around to finish the other story. And uh, so curious, Mark does this on a number of occasions uh, and kind of threads these stories together in a curious way. But we're so grateful for Laura's words of wisdom and, and encouragement and challenge from the pulpit. And I do hope that they'll be a blessing to you this week as well. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Good morning. My name is Laura Davis, and my pronouns are she, her, and it is a pleasure to be here with you all. And uh, Art, just thank you for inviting Mark and I to be able to come and share and worship with you all this morning. want to tell you a little bit about myself, um, and that is that 2023 was a huge year of transition for me and my family. Over the last 12 months, and really more like seven months, our youngest son graduated from high school. My husband and I started new jobs. We moved to a new home. We moved to a new town. And we became grandparents. It was a lot. A lot of transition. But the changes weren't over yet. Our youngest son recently moved into his first apartment near an apprentice program, apprenticeship program that he'll be starting soon, and my husband and I officially became empty nesters. Having moved only a few months earlier, we didn't have a lot of the extra stuff that you kind of that just accumulates in your house. So I, um, for, for our son to be able to take to his apartment, so I scoured Facebook Marketplace looking for everything, plates and, and cups and pots and pans and silverware and all the things. We had his bedroom furniture. We had some extra linens. We had an extra vacuum cleaner. So he was able to take those things. And his siblings had some furniture that he could take. So by the time that he actually moved in, we had almost all of the basics one would need in a new apartment. And we were thankful, because it's expensive, isn't it? Yeah. But as we were going through this process, the thing that just kept crossing my mind was what about the high school graduate who doesn't have the support of his family to be able to help meet these basic needs as they start out on their own? What does he go without until he has the money to be able to buy the basic necessities? And so these thoughts just popped into my mind throughout this whole process. Well, as 
things happen, about a week before the move, a deer ran out in front of our son, making his vehicle unrepairable. And as you know, it takes time to be able to find a reliable car in the range of an insurance payout. So we moved our son into an apartment a good distance away from our home without a vehicle to drive. Thankfully, his apartment is on a bus line. And uh, my husband, who very much likes to research things, he researched the routes and he made sure that he would be able to get to school and to the grocery store until we could find him a car. But again, my mind went to, what about the young adult whose parents can't drive them to a new apartment? What if their parents work all the time and they can't afford the gas money or to rent a small U-Haul? How will they get there? What if their parents are just too exhausted and burdened to be able to help them navigate a new city and a new transportation system? Our son was able to pay all the deposits necessary to secure the apartment and the electricity and the Wi-Fi because he was able to save up while he was living with us. But what about the daughter who works and tries to save up most of her money, but it really goes to help her parents pay for the expenses for her and her siblings? How does she come up with almost two or sometimes three times rent money? before she can even move in. As we helped our son move his belongings into this apartment, we took stock of what he still needed to feel comfortable in his new place. Things like a shower curtain and dish detergent and groceries. So two Walmart trips later, his place was comfortable enough. We said we love you and let us know if you need anything, and we drove home. But what about the parents and the child who can't afford the extra trips to Walmart, who can't afford to stock the refrigerator with healthy-ish meals? How does the young adult who doesn't have the support that my son has, how does he make it in the world? A moment ago, we heard the story of two women, one younger and one older. The older is possibly moving through her struggles without support. The younger has a supportive father, but he knows that he can't help her without getting help himself. It's hard to be without support, and sometimes it's hard to know how to offer that support. We're going to revisit their stories in just a moment and the story of Jesus caring for their needs. But first, let me share with you some of the stories of faith communities who, like that father, are striving to meet needs of the beloved around them. Art mentioned earlier about Mark being uh, here earlier to be able to to talk through some of the things about CBF Virginia uh, during the Sunday school hour. Uh, And Mark, uh, who is our coordinator of CBF Virginia, and Heidi Ruiz, who is our office manager, and I spent a couple of days in western part of the state earlier this week with our partners at Together for Hope Appalachia. And while we were there, we heard these amazing stories from people and from organizations who are doing their very best to be able to combat poverty and family trauma in Appalachia, which happens to have a disproportionate number of counties that are dealing with consistent rural poverty. We heard from Betty and from Justin at the Wade Center who work with at-risk children. 
They work with them after school and during the summer. And over and over, as we toured the facility, they referred to the kids as their family. They talked about how proud they are about the children that were coming, um, coming to the program and they were on honor roll during this grading period because of the tutoring program that they can offer. They talked about being able to provide meals and sending home bags of food on the weekends, food that these elementary-aged children can fix for themselves if needed. We heard about Jason Tart and Amelia Bandy, who co-founded Economic Development of the Greater East, EDGE for short. They work really hard to create sources of nutrition and meaningful livelihoods and access to health care, and they do this by investing in people and thinking creatively about the resources that are already around them. They shared with us about training people in things like agricultural practices that will not only feed their own families, but also their community and the surrounding communities. We heard stories of people finding ways to care for people in recovery and people struggling with trauma and medical illness. Over and over, we heard stories of hope. We heard stories of loving neighbor. We heard stories of humanity. This Williamsburg Baptist Church, this is what we strive for together as a CBF family. You and us and all of the churches that are a part of CBF. To serve with our God to bring heaven to earth. In our scripture passage today, we hear stories of hope, we hear stories of Jesus loving others, and we hear stories of kindness, of humanity. This story that was read earlier today, it can be found in Matthew and Luke as well, but Mark gives us the most details. And even with the detailed account that Mark gave, we really don't get the whole picture. So today I ask you to come along with me as I imagine some of the details that scripture doesn't necessarily share. But before we begin, let's jump back to a couple of weeks ago. Uh, remember that a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was visiting, well, Jesus wasn't visiting a couple of weeks ago, in the scripture that you heard a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus was visiting the other side of the shore in the country of Gerasenes, and he cast demons out of a man into a herd of swine. Do you remember that? All right. The people plead with Jesus to leave because they're kind of freaked out. And so he does. And as Jesus gets into this boat, the healed man begs Jesus to let him come along too. But Jesus tells him to go to his friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for him, what mercy he has shown him. The man obeys and goes out to proclaim this very message, and everyone is amazed. Meanwhile, Jesus crosses the sea again, where another crowd gathers around him. And this is where our story picks up today. This is where we first meet Jairus. Jairus is a well-respected and powerful man. He has status in the community. One commentator suggests that he's a lay leader who oversees the congregation, a synagogue president, if you will. He helps make the synagogue function well, but he's not the rabbi. The rabbi leads people in the daily practice of Jewish law. Jairus follows these laws under the rabbi's guidance, and he lives out his faith. He is a model in the community. So when he shows up to talk to Jesus, 
I imagine that people make a way for him. They see this man named Jairus make his way to Jesus, stand before him, and then fall down at his feet. The crowd sees this upstanding citizen, this powerful man, on the ground begging Jesus, pleading with Jesus, please, please help my little girl. But he isn't just asking Jesus for help. He asks Jesus to make her well. This father believes that Jesus has the power to save his daughter from death's snare. Jairus has faith in Jesus' healing power. So Jesus goes with Jairus, and the crowd follows, pressing in on him. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a sporting event or a concert that's at an arena, uh, and the game or the concert's over, and it's time to go home, and everybody tries to leave at once? Yeah? You're in the middle of this sea of people packed so tight together that you need to hold onto your companion's hand or sleeve or something so that you don't get separated. I imagine that it's a lot like that, except with even less personal space. People are bumping and they're jostling each other. They're leaning in to hear what Jesus is saying. So it's a little surprising, and and by little, I really mean a lot. It's very surprising when Jesus turns around and says, Who touched my clothes? Jesus is heading to save a 12-year-old child from death with her father by his side. He stops mid-stride to ask this strange question. And I imagine Jairus doing that little dance that we do when we're trying to get somebody to hurry up. I imagine Jairus is pacing. His anxiety and his worry is pouring out of every action and every mannerism, even every breath that he takes. Think about when we have felt that anxious, that powerless, and just scared out of our mind. This is where we meet Jairus at this moment. He believes in Jesus' healing power, but his daughter, she is so close to death. Surely, Jesus is not stopping to ask, who touched him? Let's keep this picture of Jairus in our mind as we go back and revisit part of the story that we haven't talked about. There's a woman who's nearby who has been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years as long as Jairus' daughter is alive, has been alive. This woman has been bleeding for 12 long years. And I think about a time when I've lost a lot of blood and my iron was low. I felt this overwhelming sense of fatigue. I had no energy to do just the everyday tasks that I needed to do. I felt lightheaded sometimes. Not to the point that the room was spinning, but definitely enough of that motion that I didn't feel good, that my stomach felt queasy. Now, thankfully for me, it didn't last long. But for this unnamed woman, it's lasted 12 years. It was so bad that she went to a doctor and was treated. And when that didn't work, she went to another doctor and tried another treatment. And when that didn't work, she tried another doctor and another and another. Scripture says that she endured much under many physicians until she had no money left. 
And instead of improving, she's only gotten worse. Keep in mind that because of her bleeding, she is considered unclean, which means that she cannot worship in the synagogue and she cannot be touched by anyone or they will become unclean. Imagine not being able to touch or to be touched for 12 years. Hugging your friend, holding a loved one's hand, a pat on the shoulder, or even a fist bump. Countless research shows that the, important, the importance of physical touch. It calms that anxiety and the stress. It provides comfort. It lowers our blood pressure. It regulates sleep and digestion. It helps our body, body fight infection, and it builds our immune system. Did you know that touch did that much? It's a lot. Touch is important. For 12 years, this woman goes unhugged. Her hand goes unheld, and her body receives no intentional touch. She already struggles with the feeling of being blah because of the blood loss. Add to that loss, that that, the loss of giving and receiving touch and all the benefits that go with it. And then on top of that, taking away her ability to practice her faith in person at the synagogue. This woman is desperate. So desperate that she risks going into this crowd of people with no chance that she won't bump into somebody, making them unclean. She risks the ridicule and the anger and even more social social shunning. That's hard to say. But she's heard about this Jesus, and she has to try. Jesus may get angry, and justly so, because if she touches him, he's made unclean. But she has to do it. She is so tired. She is bone-weary, and she has to try. She says, if I but just touch his clothes, I will be made well. So she gathers up all the courage that her fatigued body and soul can muster. And she walks up behind Jesus and she reaches out her hand and makes contact with his cloak. And in that moment, in that instant, her bleeding stops. She feels her body heal from the tips of her toes to the top of her head. She is made well. What elation! What joy! What relief! And then the next instant, Jesus stops, knowing that healing power has gone out from him. He turns around and he asks, Who touched my clothes? What is she to do? Is he going to be angry? Will he shame her? What has she done? And again, She gathers all her courage that her once wrecked but now healed body can muster. And she comes before Jesus, literally trembling from fear. And she falls down at his feet, just like Jairus did earlier. She falls down before him and tells it all. Imagine with me what she may have said. Jesus, my Lord, I have been sick and unclean for so long. I've suffered from hemorrhages for 12 long years. 
Jesus, I've not been able to worship at our synagogue. I've not been able to hug my mother or kiss my sister. I've tried all the doctors and all the treatments, and nothing has worked. But then I heard about you, Jesus, and how you make the unclean clean and how you heal the sick. And I knew that if I could just touch your cloak, that I would be made well too. Jesus, you are my last hope. Have mercy on me. And what does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And immediately, this story moves, y'all. Immediately, before he even finishes talking, some people come up to Jairus, who's, who's standing on the sidelines here, remaining anxious and worried and scared over his own daughter's illness, despite the miracle that just took place before his eyes. And the people say to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And Jairus deflates. His hope dies along with his life as he knows it. But Jesus hears this conversation and he tells Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And Jairus believes. Jesus tells the crowd to stop following them and he takes three of his disciples and Jairus and he goes to Jairus' house. And when they get there, people are wailing and weeping and making a commotion as is tradition when somebody dies. But Jesus asks them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. But they know she's dead, and they're so astounded by this proclamation that they laugh at him. Jesus puts them out of the house, takes the child's mother and father and three disciples who were with him, and they go to where the child lay. He touches her. Did you hear that? He touches her. And he takes her by the hand, and he says, which means little girl, get up. And in that moment, in that instant, their little girl gets up and begins walking around. Even though Jairus believes when Jesus told him only believe, he and his wife understandably are still overcome with amazement. And then Jesus tells them not to tell anybody. And to tell them, and, they, and then Jesus tells them to give her something to eat. Perhaps because she has just endured a terrible illness that ultimately caused her death, and now she's alive again, it's time for some nourishment. Jesus cares about Jairus' daughter. Y'all, what a day. We witness some pretty extreme emotions at play in the lives of the women, of the woman and the child and her family. They are intense. But what's even more evident than the intense emotions is the absolute faith of the woman and Jairus have in Jesus. What do we do with that kind of faith? What do we do when we, like Jairus, see someone we love that's struggling and we have no power to take that struggle away? What do we do when we have done everything that we possibly can think of and more to make a difficult situation better? And instead, it only gets worse. What do we do when we, like the woman, find no way out of what feels like a hopeless situation? Only believe. Jesus told Jairus to only believe. But let it be a belief that's willing to reach out. The woman doesn't just believe that Jesus can heal her. She believes enough to be able to enter this crowd and to stretch out her hand. 
Jairus believes enough to be able to seek Jesus out and bring him to his daughter. We believe in the presence and power of Jesus Christ, enough to call upon this one who is untroubled by our own uncleanliness and is not overcome by even death. We may or may not see miracles in our lives, but we can rest in the assurance that the same God who healed the woman and gave new life to the little girl sees our need for wholeness. This God walks with us to sustain us through the difficulties that life throws our way. God's sustaining presence may arrive in the form of a friend who listens to you and and your worries and holds your hand through that difficult journey. Or it may be at work through you as you advocate for others who are going through the same thing. When we feel lost, when we feel alone, great comfort can be found by believing that Jesus is present with us and willing to be touched by our lives and touch our lives in return. Not only as the Most High God, but as our teacher, our Savior, our caregiver, and our friend. We can cling to the hope, the belief that Jesus can make us well. Miracles can and do happen. But even if we don't experience a miracle as the woman and the child did, we can experience belief in this God who loves us so very deeply. And just as we experience this love and this presence and this faith in Jesus, God wants us to be able to share this good news with others. Share how God takes care of us, how Jesus shows us mercy. Share by being the voice for the voiceless and by teaching the voiceless how to be heard. If we want to support the person who is struggling in this world, if we want to fully realize the power and the love of Jesus in our own lives, we must have courage to believe. We must believe. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our creator, our sustainer, our comforter, and our protector, we praise your holy name. Thank you for giving us stories of how Jesus loves neighbors. And help us love our neighbors as Jesus loves. Help us remember that you are always present in our lives and work in us so that we can become more like you. Amen.